Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bible and turn, if you would please, to 1 Peter. (laughs) 1 Peter chapter 4. I didn't remember myself where I'm at. Chapter 4, as we talk about rejoice in suffering for Christ. 1 Peter chapter 4, 12 through 19. We live in a world that has embraced a culture of victimization. Let me say it again. We live in a world that has embraced a culture of victimization. Everyone is a victim. And everyone is suffering offenses. We are looking for new ways to be offended by somebody, someone, something that somebody said. And this has led to a perpetual state of outrage, has it not? doesn't matter where you go. It seems like somebody somewhere is outraged. State of outrage among competing groups seeking mediation and reparations for the wrongs that have done for them. This seems to be the world and the political, social, cultural, religious environment we live in. And Christians are not immune to this as well. I was sharing with the men in our men's uh, adults core class is that even this week, Christians that we would say on both sides are publicly denouncing and just offending each other and picking up offenses. It's just a sad state of affairs. We too are guilty of taking up offenses easily and overreacting, forgetting that we represent Christ. Yet at the same time, we are facing some real and difficult oppositions to our faith. And so what we've been talking about is First Peter has been talking about suffering is coming, but what's important for Christians is to know how to respond to suffering. Because how we respond to suffering says much about what type of God we serve. In a recent interview with Rolling Stone magazine, you might have read this, either there or somewhere else. Tech millionaire turned LGBTQ activist Tim Gill says he's aiming, and this is his quote, he is aiming to punish Christians who do not want to participate in same-sex weddings. We talk about florists. Uh, bakers, so on and so forth. We see these are being litigated and put in the, up to the Supreme Court. But his desire is to punish Christians who will not accept or participate in same-sex weddings. Not talking about agreeing with them, but participating in them. For more than two decades, the article goes, the software programmer has poured an estimated, listen to this number, $422 million into various gay rights causes. That is his right, no problem. And after the Supreme Court ruled gay marriage legal in all 50 states, he has turned his attention and resources to targeting Christians. He says, we're going to go into the hardest states in the country. And this is what he says. Here's the quote. We are going to punish the wicked. Well, who is the wicked he's going to punish? Christians. 
under the guise of right to worship protection, these bills, he speaks about those bills that protect these religious uh, protection bills, give legal cover for individuals and businesses, he believes, to deny services or otherwise discriminate against LGBTQ people. Now, obviously, we do not agree with his assertion and viewpoint. We believe that God has created us all, all in the image of God and that he created us male and female and he has ordained and created marriage to consist of one man and one woman. Yet that belief now has led us to be ridiculed, condemned, and litigated against. And this battle is not finished. One by one, we read of churches and pastors and those that profess Christ yield to this demand to accept their point of view, disregarding the clear teachings of Scripture. Not only to accept their view, but I would also add to celebrate and affirm their view. Unfortunately, many Christians have not responded to this hostility biblically. We have embraced the culture of victimizations ourselves, and we have wrongly pushed back with anger, accusations, and judgment that has not reflected the image of Christ. With the end of the age that we read of last week in 1 Peter approaching, believers are to prepare themselves for suffering. That suffering can include uh, ridicule through verbal assaults, rejection from social and economic life, and repercussions such as public and, uh, uh, physical intimidation and even death. Yet through it all, we have a safe haven, the church, a group of people who have repented from their dead works and trusted in the works of Christ, submitting themselves to his rule and committed to living out the hope of their salvation in a covenant community. In this, God is glorified. Well, in today's passage, Peter continues to teach the elect exiles in Asia Minor to embrace the suffering with joy and gladness, understanding that our suffering is ordained by God and it serves a purpose in conforming us into the image of his son. So let's pray if we would. Father, I pray as we come to this passage that you give us wisdom. For we do face a sense of persecution through ridicule and condemnation and rejection, and even some to economic and social repercussions. So, Father, give us wisdom of how we respond to that biblically. Let us not take up the tools and the attitudes and the actions of those that are worldly, but let us put aside the bitterness and the clamor and the malice, and let us instead put on kindness and long-suffering, along with joy and suffering. Open our minds to what Peter has for us this morning, and may we respond in such a way, Lord, that not only will you be glorified, but it will even draw those who condemn us, who ridicule us. May it reflect them that they may see God himself and be drawn to them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, Peter wants us to persevere in suffering. We've been talking about this. For, for many of us, we want to avoid suffering. We want to go around it, get above it, get under it. We just want it to stop. But as we've seen many times, it's not about stopping, avoiding, or going around persecution. Christ wants us to endure suffering. He Many times he wants us to embrace suffering, to live through it. His theme in this passage is to suffer joyfully in accord with God's will. We must understand that God's will may and will include suffering. 
How we respond to suffering is very important. And Peter is going to give us three attitudes to have when suffering as well as a warning. And again, when you and I think of suffering, we're thinking of a persecution that is about death or about some type of criminal. But, but that's not always, that's not the type of suffering the readers of Peter were understanding. They were going through verbal assaults and social and economic repercussions because of their desire to please God. For us, that's where we are here in the United States. So let me give you, there's three attitudes and a warning about suffering. Number one, here's the first attitude. You and I are to be prepared spiritually, mentally, and emotionally for suffering. Look what he says in verse 12. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Peter, in defining his readers as beloved, begins a new section in his letter. Once again, it shows Peter's affection for this group of elect exiles in Asia Minor. He understands that they need encouragement, especially from one who has gone through the fires of suffering and trials, both verbally and physically, not to mention spiritually. You might recall Jesus' dire warning to Peter on the night of his betrayal in Luke chapter 22. When Jesus looked at Simon Peter and said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that would you have turned again, strengthening your brothers. Peter knows what it is to suffer persecution. Peter wants these Christians to be prepared to expect not to be surprised about the suffering that will come. He realizes that, that if they do not prepare themselves spiritually, mentally and emotionally, it could lead to being overwhelmed, causing a child of God to doubt God's word and God's love and God's goodness. Unfortunately, too many Christians today have undersold on the price of following Christ. Instead of heeding the word of Christ in the Gospels, where he says, if anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We have relegated the decision to follow Christ as just say a prayer or repeat after me. We have forgotten the commitment that a disciple must make to follow Jesus. In Luke 14, Jesus warned that whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. If any one of you does not renounce all that he has, Jesus says you cannot be my disciple. Sadly, tragically, I would say, we have presented Christ as a life coach or a motivator or an add-on to our present life. We have transformed Christ into a genie whose main purpose is to make all of our days a Friday. Is it any wonder that when, Christian, when the Christian life becomes difficult, when temptations arise, when others ridicule our faith, when they realize that God actually expects us to change our lives and our behavior and our thinking, many who profess Christ begin to fall away. They are surprised that they are not experiencing their best life now. Too many begin to doubt the word of God. They doubt his goodness and his love. And they believe that suffering shows that God is either absent or he's non-caring about his children. However, mark this, I've said it before through, this, through these passages. Suffering is part and parcel 
of the Christian life. We here in America are fools if we think otherwise. It's a sad commentary on the American Christianity when suffering causing professing believers to curl up and fade away where in other parts of the world suffering ignites the flame of explosive growth in evangelism, discipleship, and worship. But you don't see that here in the United States. One theologian notes that their suffering is not a sign of God's absence but of his purifying presence. He doesn't want them to be surprised. Peter writes this from experience. Jesus warned Peter that that night in the garden to be prepared for what was coming. He said, Satan is going to want, wants to shift you. You need to be ready. Again in the garden, Jesus told Peter, my soul is very sorrowful, Jesus said, even to death. Remain here, watch with me. Yet when he came to the disciples, he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus knew what was awaiting Peter in just a few minutes. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, Jesus said. However, as you and I know, Peter was not prepared for the betrayal, the trial, and the torture, and the crucifixion of the man that he proclaimed was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Taken by surprise, he was not ready when Satan sifted him like wheat, leading Peter to deny Christ not once but three times. Peter did not want them to repeat his mistakes and his sin. He wants them to be ready. So he gives them advance warning. Be prepared. Suffering is coming. Persecution is coming. Instead of surprise, Peter writes, Be joyful and glad when that suffering comes, which leads us to point number two, is the attitude that we're to have is to rejoice and be glad in suffering, knowing that God will vindicate and exalt both Christ and believers. Look at verse 13 with me. But rejoice insofar, he writes, as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Now this verse contrasts with verse 12. Instead of surprise, we should rejoice and be glad that we are called to suffer with Christ. God has called his children to be filled with joy and gladness. And I would ask, is that the, 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 the attitude of many Christians you see in the midst of ridicule? in the midst of the hostility of the world that we face today. Too many Christians believe that the only way to serve God is with dour faces and muted spirits. And that's not true at all. God commands his children to that all who seek you rejoice and to be glad in God, the psalmist writes. May those who love your salvation say continually, great is the Lord. Again, the psalmist, but the righteous shall be glad. They should exult before God. They should be jubilant with joy. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And again, he says, Paul here, at the point in which he knows that he is at, at death's door. Paul writes, even if I am poured out as a drink offering, offering before or upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. 
I don't know about you, but when I hear a multimillionaire has, is, has put it out for me and he's ready to spend his millions to punish the wicked, those who don't agree with his, his, his uh, viewpoint, I don't always want to be glad and rejoice. When I see one law and, one, uh, and another world viewpoints that are against God be codified in law, it's hard to rejoice and be glad. When that ridicule comes, it's difficult to be rejoiced and be glad. I think I remember I told you the story when I was young at the, and I've said it many times so you understand that the story when I was young and we were at a, a skating rink and it was the day when all the schools were off and they were naming the schools, you know, and everyone was yelling, all the kids. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, I was surprised they said my school. And all of a sudden, everyone started booing because we were a Christian school. I didn't shout, yay, Lancers, go, go, go. No, I just kind of like, oh, okay. That type of attitude, I wasn't joyful and glad at that time. I wasn't around telling everyone where I went to school. This is not easy to be joyful and glad when others see you in the wrong way. When they pick you out and want to ridicule you and they reject you and you suffer repercussions for your faith in Christ, God is not calling us, though, to live a life unawares of the problem in life or to be hypocritical as if everything is coming up roses. God knows this suffering. He knows what you and I face. He knows the troubles. He knows the pain and the sin that overwhelms us. That's why Jesus begs us to come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Some of you today need to take that verse and do so. You're carrying a load that you should not be carrying. For Jesus comes alongside and says, my child, let me take that. God is not asking you to fake it but to embrace suffering with joy and gladness in spite of the ridicule, in spite of the rejection, we're to receive it with joy and gladness. How we do that is by realizing the premise and the purpose and the proof of our calling. The premise of our suffering is that believers share in Christ's suffering and that we're insulted, insulted excuse me, for the name of Christ. In this case, these elect exiles were suffering not from physical persecution as much as personal, social, and economic persecution for following Christ. The opposition that they had was verbal and not physical. They were not being martyred to death. They were not being stoned. They, they were not facing those types of things. The persecution that they were facing was for not engaging in their formal actions. We saw this in chapter 4, verse 4. When Peter writes that the world, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your co-workers, they are surprised when you do not join them in the flood of debauchery that you used to serve in and live in. And they malign you for it. As believers, we are partners with Christ and we share in the Christ's sufferings. Jesus warned his disciples, the world cannot hate you. It hates me because I testify about its works that they are evil. And because of our allegiance to Christ, Christians, we should expect the same hatred towards us. It doesn't surprise me. It shouldn't surprise you. 
It is ironic that so many people claim to love Jesus and want us to live like Jesus, but when in reality, when it comes down to it, they do not know Jesus at all. Claiming to love and exalt him as a model of living, they, in reality, they hate his word and his teaching, at least, at least because their teaching or his teaching exposes their sin. I'm reminded of a show I watched a couple weeks ago, and it was, with the, it was on The View. I think many of you know what The View is. So, In there, there was the Christian baker that at this present is being sued for not baking a cake. Uh, for a, a gay wedding. He says, I, I serve these gay people. I'm just not going to serve the wedding. I, I just don't feel that that's right. Well, he's being sued. It's going to the Supreme Court. And as he was talking to them, they finally got to the one question always asked, would Jesus bake the cake? And the man says, I don't believe Jesus would bake the cake. Well, Joy Barra, is that, is that, I think that might be her name. I don't know their names, all of them. But she got all upset. What are you talking about? Quit talking for Jesus. Jesus would, of course, bake the cake. And now, for me, I'm sitting, at the, I'm sitting there watching. I'm saying, no, 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 no. You know, by the way, it does you no good to, to, to yell at your, t- your TV screen or your monitor or anything like that. But I finally had to just say something about it. So, you know, you, you do what, what you do. You tweet or Facebook or something. I don't know what I said. But I was trying to do it lovingly. Is, is my thought was, I wish this was what the man would have said. Now, he didn't know how to answer the question. And, and here's the thing, is, and the problem is, it's not Joy Bear saying that Jesus would make the cake. The problem is, is, we have not presented Jesus well as Christians. Jesus is just, he's just super Gandhi. Right? You know, he's just, he's just Mother Teresa to the nth power, right? That's, that's all Jesus is. That's how we presented him. But here's my viewpoint. Instead of being angry, my thoughts should have been, and here's how I wish the guy would have responded, is, you know what, let Jesus speak for himself about whether or not he would bake the cake. Oh, wait, he did. It's in the Bible. I don't know how well that went across. I tried to show joy and gladness and love and sharing that tweet, but some reason when you type something, all of a sudden all the love and kindness and joy and what your true emotion kind of leaves it as it goes into written word. But again, there's the point is they don't always understand. The world is going to hate us. They want to redefine who Jesus is. Now, I, I, what I liked about the gentleman is he didn't get angry. He didn't, he didn't fight back. But unfortunately, too many of us do. And then all of a sudden, we try to re-represent Christ, but we represent him as an angry, vicious Savior in that case. But they hate Jesus in the end. It's not that they hate us. This man really doesn't want to punish us. When he says he wants to punish the wicked, who he truly believes is the wicked is Jesus. He just has the wrong target. We need to recognize that. Peter knew intimately what that hate felt like. And he experienced it firsthand. And that hatred of Christ cost him plenty. He would go to the cross, uh, crucified, upside down, beaten many times for his faith, kicked out of uh, Jerusalem, his home or his church, and cast to travel. But now he wants these first century Christians to embrace this hatred instead of fighting it, but to embrace it with joy and gladness. 
He joins with the psalmist who writes the rites of the Messiah. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. What is marvelous in our eyes? The fact that the Messiah was rejected. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I don't understand that. It is difficult for me to recognize that that's how I'm supposed to feel. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Peter then wants us to rejoice and be glad when we suffer because of our allegiance to Christ, remembering that just as Jesus was mocked and ridiculed and rejected, so shall those that are called by his name. Luke tells us in the book of Acts that when the Jewish council tried to intimidate the apostles to be quiet, they refused. In response, the council called the apostles. They beat them and they charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let him go. But scripture tells us that then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for thy name. And every day in the temple and from the house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So instead of fighting and taking offense at their hatred and hostility of Jesus, you and I are to embrace it with joy and gladness, recognizing that when we do so, that we too share in the suffering of Christ. The purpose of the suffering is not in view here, but it's important for me to review real quickly why God brings us suffering, while he, why he allows the world to hate us, and why a Christian faces ridicule, rejection, and repercussion for following him. Early in his letter, Peter had wrote in referring to our salvation. He says, in your salvation rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. So we see there's a purpose for the ridicule that you and I face, the hostility of the world. Paul would write to the church of Rome, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that this suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, which produces hope, and that hope does not put us to shame. Hence why Peter can write, give the reason of the hope. When people see that we're enduring with patience the suffering and the ridicule, they'll say, how are you getting through? I have a hope. I have a peace of God that passes all understanding. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts the Holy Spirit. And James, the half-brother of Jesus, and the leader of the church of Jerusalem, encourages his congregation, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And let me tell you, this church of Jerusalem went through the fire. Whether it was the persecution of the Jews, whether it was the kicking themselves or being kicked out of the synagogues and then through the famine. He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and when that steadfastness has its full effect that you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's summarize that. Suffering is part of the purifying and refining work of God in our lives. 
He is the Michelangelo that uses that stone or uses the chisel of suffering to carve us out of marvel. Suffering molds and makes us into the image of his son, Jesus. We are to approach this refining work with joy and gladness. And I would encourage you that whatever you may be suffering through today, God has a plan in it. He has a purpose for it. He will not abandon nor forsake us. He is lovingly crafting you into the image of his son. And many of you are facing different types of suffering. It could be ridicule from people at work or from those around you. It may be rejection of even family members. And some of it may be repercussions that you and I don't even know. Or maybe the suffering is financial, uh, mentally, physically in some way. Embrace it with gladness for it's God's work to make you into his son which leads us then to the proof that our suffering is worth it for if you're like me I say why in the world should I suffer why should I receive this type of offense this type of uh, argument this type of ridicule and rejection why should I embrace it what good is it well there's a proof God says there's a reason that it's worth it Our endurance and God's faithfulness in suffering leads, as we said several weeks ago, to our exaltation and vindication when Christ returns. The psalmist writes, Bless our God, O peoples, let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. He writes, For you, O God, has tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into a net. You have laid a crushing burden upon our backs. Israel crying out, Lord, what are you doing? You have let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Oh, for you and I to have that type of vision of understanding what life is about when it's difficult. You and I can endure suffering with joy and gladness because of the future joy of eternal salvation with God. Yes, we must suffer now, trusting that rest and peace awaits us for those that are waiting for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of Christ. Peter encourages readers that there will be vindication and exaltation at the second coming of Christ for believers. Now this is to be our comfort and encouragement. Yet if you and I are honest, that can be difficult to do. When the storms of suffering sweep over our lives, it clouds our visions and our judgment. It can be very hard to concentrate and meditate on our future vindication and exaltation. We are people that are very much consumed with the here and the now. Constant suffering weighs on the spirit and the mind, and it can be emotionally draining and physically exhausting. It can be easy to despair and question the word of God and his goodness and the love. Peter, in his second letter, will write to the Christians. He says, scoffers will come the last days with scoffing, following their own simple desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things were continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And we too can join with them. Where is Christ? 2,000 years past. And he still isn't here. Every day is like the same. 
People have suffered. People have gone through to combat these feelings and fears. God has given us his Holy Spirit and protector to protect and comfort us in our suffering. Jesus promises us that if you love me, if you will keep my commandments, is what these people are being uh, ridiculed for, what they're being ridicule, uh, rejected for. He says, I will ask the Father and he will love or he will send, give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be with you. For those that embrace and endure suffering for the sake of Christ, we will be empowered and encouraged by the Spirit in our sanctification. In addition, our response to the hostility of the world indicates whether or not we truly belong to God. In essence, Peter is telling us to turn our insults into blessings and our ridicule into praise and our rejection into rewards, which leads to a warning about Peter's, Peter's warning about suffering. The warning is very this. You can see it there. Number three is our warning is to evaluate the source of our suffering. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. Peter writes that not all suffering qualifies one to receive the blessings of God. Not all suffering is created equal. He is telling them to discern the root of your suffering. If you are suffering ridicule, rejection, or repercussions from sinful actions, then your suffering has no eternal purpose or reward. He lists five actions ranging from big to small. Peter writes suffering, uh, writes, suffering for being a Christian is not something, though, to be ashamed of. A Christian is a follower of Christ. In the earliest days of the church, the word Christian was actually a derisive term given to those followers of Christ by outsiders. Eventually, followers of Christ came to love and adopt this name as their own, but at first, it was a source of ridicule. And in the same tone, he wants them not to be ashamed for following Christ and forsaking their sin and living godly. Paul writes that the gospel is too powerful to be ashamed Paul would write to the church of Rome, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of God, for it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Remember, Peter has, Peter has already written that their testimony of forsaking sin and following Christ and living godly lives will lead others to Christ. It's one of your great testimonies. It's a witnessing tool. The power of the gospel is a transformed life. Our lives should be remarkable, different than the world. Scripture promises that God always leads us in triumphal procession. And he threw us, speaking of the church, he spreads the fragrance of God, the knowledge of God everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ, of God, among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. To some we are a fragrance from death to death. To others we are a fragrance from life to life. We need to change the way we approach and respond to the ridicule and rejection we face due to our faith in the good news of Christ. Thomas Schreiner writes that being reproached for the sake of Christ is an indication that the readers stand under God's blessing. So here's a warning. Evaluate, discern what your suffering has come. For you may suffer financial, emotional, physical 
uh, suffering because of your own mistake and your own sin. Discern what it is. Let our suffering be for the sake of Christ and for none other. Which brings us to our third and last attitude. Trust that God will guard and protect you in your suffering. Let's read this verse together. Peter writes, For it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Good question. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This passage is filled with Old Testament imagery. Peter here is using Old Testament imagery quite a bit. And in this case, he's referring to God's judgment on Israel. And he's pointing out that God will one day judge Israel. He will judge the world. But what we're seeing here is that those who repent, God will give rewards. To those who refuse to repent and continue to reject him will receive judgment. You and I need to recognize this is what Paul is, or Peter is saying. Is that you and I need to trust in the goodness of God. That those of us who respond the way God has called us to, with joy and gladness, willing to suffer for his name, will be vindicated and exalted. The judgment that Peter is writing on is about, not, about what, not about condemnation, but refinement. And we need to recognize the conclusion in verse 19 is that God is a good and faithful and true God. And that we have no need to fear or despair when we are persecuted for following Christ. Instead, we are to embrace it with joy and gladness. We believe in a sovereign God who providentially ordains all that occur, occurs. There are no accidents, incidences, or surprises. Whether it's suffering through incidents, death, pregnancies, sicknesses, financial markets, or personal failures, all and any of these things we face are part of God's plan and conform us to the image of his Son. For Scripture tells us that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. One theologian encourages us that believers can be confident that he will not allow them to suffer beyond their capacity, and he will provide the strength needed to endure. So let me close it with this as a summary. Do not be surprised when ridiculed, rejected, or facing repercussions for living a godly life. Instead, God has called us to respond to suffering with joy and gladness. We are to endure the verbal attacks, realizing that we are partners with Christ and we will be vindicated and exalted with him when he returns in glory. But now I want to concentrate just for a few minutes, if I can have your attention, on what this means for you and I today. For I am concerned how you and I respond. Because I don't believe we respond in the same way. Back in our scripture reading earlier, we see two responses to, I cannot pronounce his name as well as you do. So we'll say, the man who is throwing rocks and stones as David is leaving Jerusalem. He is leaving after his own son is approaching the city, ready to destroy it and take over his king. Here he is as he's leaving, the, leaving with his mighty men, these men that have done great and mighty works. They are leaving, so to speak, with their tail between their legs, or legs leaving Jerusalem. Here comes a man who is related to Saul, King Saul, and throwing rocks at him, cursing him. 
ridiculing him. One of the, 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 the mighty men is ready to take a sword and kill him. But David says, you know what? Who knows? This is probably of God. Let him do what he has to do. For God knows and will judge between the two of us. Leave him be. And the man continues to do so. Well, we can go back to that story for the next few chapters. You'll see that that man will eventually come and bow before David and says, forgive me. For God restores David. So what will you do? Will you be a David in that instance or will you be a, one of the mighty men ready to take someone's head? I think we're to be David. We're to respond in the godly way recognizing that even this man who has $422 million and is ready to punish the wicked, which he believes are Christians who believe in the biblical definition of what sex is and what marriage is, we need to respond in a holy way. And unfortunately, I am guilty of this as well, and all of us Christians, of responding horribly to the ridicule, the rejection, and repercussions of calling Christ. As a pastor and as a Christian, I'm concerned in several ways, and I'd like for you to listen. I'm concerned because either we receive no uh, ridicule at all because we have not forsaken our sin and the living godly lives. Our friends and neighbors and co-workers would be surprised that we are Christians or attend a church. We've oppressed Christ, but our lives have not been transformed. We, are still, we still embrace our sin and the passions of our, fa- of, of, of passions of our flesh. I'm concerned that there are some of you here today that profess Christ, but no one else knows it. And you're facing no suffering, no ridicule, no rejection. There's a real danger there. There's a real warning. But also I'm concerned because we respond with negativity, blaming God, doubting his word and goodness and love. We feel that God has abandoned us and we're filled with bitterness and anger and frustration and despair. We have lost all joy of our Christian life and no longer are we looking for Christ's return or embracing the cross of Christ. And we're in danger of abandoning our profession. Or we respond with ridicule and rejection with the same attitude as the world inflicts it. And I believe this is many Christians today. We do not respond with, respond with kindness or long-suffering or forgiveness or gentleness. We have not let our speech always be gracious or seasoned with salt. We have forgotten that the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. And instead of embracing the instructions of Jesus to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you, in doing so, we validate their beliefs and the assertions that we are legalists and hateful and hypocrites and discriminating. Or we respond to hostility of the world by removing ourselves from the public sphere, which is leaving the world to the judgment of Christ. Each one of these responses are sinful and not glorifying to God. We are called to embrace the suffering that Christ entails even to the point of death. I read one article this week that was encouraging, challenging about a man named Kim Shamrock. He's known as the world's most dangerous man. 
He's a former mixed martial artist uh, and, and fighter who is urging Christians to not set on your Bible in a time when many believers feel their faith is marginalized by society. He says, don't set on your Bibles. Don't hug it to your chest and keep it to yourselves. He writes, God created you in a certain way. Just because you became a Christian doesn't mean you become passive. Many within the Christian community have long heard that faith is personal but not private. But he emphasizes that we're to openly share our beliefs with those around us. He says we should never pass up an opportunity to spread God's gospel or his word because of its eternal life and eternal damnation is at stake. But let me add, we're to share it with gladness and rejoicing that we may suffer as Christ does. But we do it with the love that belies the hostility that they share. One of the ways we do this is to embrace the ridicule, the rejection, and repercussions following Christ with joy and gladness, looking forward to that day when Christ comes. And let me end with these words from a prayer in the Valley of Vision. If you should give me a choice to live in pleasure and keep my sins, or to have them burnt away with trial, give me sanctified affliction. My desire is that you would choose sanctified affliction that you may be willing to embrace the ridicule, rejection, and repercussions for living a life that glorifies God, that he may be glorified and that others may come to know him. For we do live in a world that is hostile to our faith, but we should not respond in kind, but with gladness and joy, knowing that we'll be vindicated and exalted when Christ comes. Let's bow our head, if you would please. Ask the worship team to go ahead and come up this time. I'd like for you to just take a moment to pause to consider what Peter writes to us. How have you been responding to the hostility, to the ridicule and the rejection from the world? We're looking for all sorts of solutions except for the gospel one. Let us embrace the gospel. But embracing the gospel will cause suffering. And may our suffering make us more into the image of God. Would you make that commitment this morning? Where are you this morning? Maybe there's time to repent and confess your sin of how you responded. Maybe it's praying, God, just give me greater strength. Or maybe you hear you, you do not know Christ. And it's time to follow him. I pray that you would do so this morning. At the end of service, Landon and Dustin will be up here. If, you'd like to, if you need like a word of encouragement, a word of prayer, or like to know more how you can know Christ, would you come and see them and they'll take you and pray with you and share with you through scripture how you can know him as your savior. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and we thank you for these powerful words of Peter. Make us sufficient. Let us examine the source of our suffering. Father, let it be because we desire to live a godly life and may we respond in kindness and gentleness but also to rebuke and to challenge, not that we're so passive that we don't stand up, but Father, that we do it with the love of Christ. And Father, may we mute their challenges and their ridicule, trusting in you, knowing that you are a good and loving God and that your word is true. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. 
We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.